It's good to have our children back home. I wish we had them all up here today. when God is not moved by our plans and our frame of thinking? What happens when you just come to God just as you are? Because this morning, it was disjointed, disorganized, but you came to God just as you are. That's why Jesus had to come because we couldn't get it together. Amen? Amen? And so, but yet God took something that was so messy for him and made it so beautiful through his son, Jesus. Amen. And that's, that's what this is all about. What happened this morning is just a small portion of what sin must have looked like to God. I'm not saying what happened is sin. I'm saying sin is chaos. Sin is ugly. Sin is disjointed and disorganized. But the Bible tells us that God is holy and God is orderly and he's not with confusion. But yet he sent his son Jesus in the midst of a chaotic world. A world that was going in its own direction, just like it said in Judges chapter 3, that when the people had no judge, they did whatever they wanted to do. Whatever they thought of. The same thing that God said in Genesis chapter 6 to Noah. He said the people are wicked. And whatever they have thought of, they are doing it. And yet, God sent his son Jesus down here in the midst of all of that. But you got to understand that the times in which Jesus came, it was not pretty. It was horrible in Israel. And the word of God that we're about to go to after prayer, that time period also was horrible. The prophet Michael is a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah. They coexisted at the same time. Can you play just a little lore? Thank you, man. I have never preached from this book before. This is new. I don't know where the Holy Spirit is going to take us in this journey today. But it's a journey that we need to be aware of. It's a journey in which we're going to look back again 700 years before the coming of the Messiah. Before God sent his son into a chaotic world. To bring beauty. To bring life to a world that was dead to God. And we're going to see a prophet that very rarely people look upon and see his words because the language of Michael is so complex, so complicated to understand, but yet so simple if you grew up in that era. If you was a Jew growing up, you would have known the symbolism that this man used and you would have understood the message from God, what he was saying to a people that was about to get their butts kicked. And literally, and I'm talking about that, 
The people that would literally be drugged through the streets and killed, cut in pieces, burned alive. A time in which mothers would eat their own dead babies. It was not pretty in Israel. But God promised that he was going to send a ruler. He promised he was going to bring deliverance. And folks, God did. We'll make the connection later. And if you look around you now in our world, our world today is not much different except we have technology. And in many ways, technology complicates the issue of men being mean and nasty and want to live in the world without God and do whatever he wants to without accountability. And yet God said, I'm sending my son back again. <laughs> yes, Jesus is coming back again. Dick, bump that air condition back up a little bit. I think I got it a little too cool in here. And so, anyway, as you listen to Marquise play so eloquently, I want you to understand this, that God is watching. God is paying attention and God is caring about what's going on on the earth. We're the smallest of all the planets in the universe Except there's one or two that's a little bit smaller. But we're the only planet in this great universe with life. God chose a microdot in the middle of a microdot to bring life to it. And in that, God not only put life here, but God himself came here. Making the earth the greatest place in the universe to be. And folks... God values you. God values me. God even valued the man that brought sin into the world. And his name is Adam. You know how we know that God valued that man? When you read the genealogy of Jesus in Luke chapter 3, I'll give you a little paraphrase of what it tells you and I, and it's very, very beautiful. It's very, very powerful. Here, this man is the reason that the human race failed. Because he didn't have to listen to the serpent. It says, Seth, son of Adam. Adam, son of God. What does that tell you? That God values the man, the first human that disobeyed him. God loved Adam and God loves you. So nothing, as Apostle Paul would write many thousands of years later, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And then he lists a host of things that people use to get in the way. But the principal thing that God had Paul to write there, he said, not even death will separate us 
from his love. So I want you to think about that for a moment during this Christmas season. That this prophet in his day and time when Israel was about to face its biggest dilemma, its biggest trial, its biggest division of people, its biggest army, the Syrians would come and they would take tens of thousands of people out of Israel by captive. They literally destroyed the ten northern tribes. And folks, it won't be much longer after that. The greatest army to march to Israel, and it's still the greatest army to march in Israel, the Babylonians would come. And they were a hundred times worse than the Syrians. We haven't seen anything like that on our shores. We might someday. Beautiful job, man. Just a little lower, but keep, keep playing. Every head bowed, I want you to think about this today. God was telling Israel through his prophet Micah, he said, I see your pain. I see your agony. And I have help on the way. That's the message for us today. God is saying, I see your pain. I see your agony. But there's help on the way. In both cases, that help is God's Son, Jesus. That's what we're going to see today. It's all about Jesus. Father, we thank you today that we live in a world where it's not good to voice your beliefs in the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son. It's not popular anymore to say that I'm a Christian. But Father, you knew that these days would come. You knew that in modern times, people will reject your son a lot greater than the people did in Israel. And yet, you're still sending him by the Spirit to us every day. You allow your word, your gospel to be preached to a people that want to say, I don't want your God. I don't want your Jesus. And yet you give them the opportunity time and time and time again to accept him. Father, I don't understand your love. It's just too deep for me to even comprehend it. These children, they try to hold on, Jesus, to the every little bit of faith you've given them. And they place their trust in you knowing that you will not fail them. You will not let them down. And they've been taught from your word, Jesus, that whatever you say you're going to do, you do it. And so our hope lies in you. And these babies know that. Tucker and Emma and Colby 
and Abby and Michaela and Matthew and Scala and Aiden and Scala again and AJ and all these babies, Father, they know that you will not fail them. They believe that, as the prophets have said, that someday you're going to split that eastern sky and you're going to pull the sky back like a curtain and we're going to see you just as you are, Jesus. That great, great King of kings and the Lord of lords upon that great white stallion, not coming as a baby to be defeated, but coming as a conquering king to reign and rule and to lead and to God forever and ever and ever. That's who we're looking for. And so, Lord, as your spirit prepares our hearts, as you've done your children for thousands of years, help us to hear what you're saying to your people today. Help even the ungodly that will hear this message by a podcast that they will surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ knowing that their hope is in Christ and Christ alone. And so Lord, help us. Forgive us for our sin, God. And lead us on your path of righteousness. We love you. We praise you. We exalt you. And we adore you, Jesus. And to God be the glory now and forevermore. And the people of God says, amen and amen. Come on, give God some glory. Man, how I miss your plan. God be the glory. Thank you, baby. Thank you. And I tell you, we're going to see some language here that's going to be different for you. It's going to be a little difficult, but the Holy Spirit is going to explain this language to you. Uh, Children, I know that you're taking notes, and I'm going to do my very best as the Spirit lead and guide my heart today to give you the information you need so that you can learn the Word of God this morning from the Word of God. Michael chapter 5 is all about Jesus. Somebody say amen. Amen. The word of God this morning from the word of God is all about Jesus. If a sermon is not about Jesus, it is not a sermon. It's a bunch of dead words. Because from of old, God has made his son, Jesus, the center of his word. Amen. Amen. And so this morning in Michael chapter 5, we're going to be looking. And the spirit is going to explain some stuff to us. Right now, Jerusalem is under siege. That means the enemy has marched in. That means a foreign army is now occupying the land of Israel. That means, babies, it's wartime. This means people are about to die. It is not a good time. Now gather yourself and troops. 
other words, God is saying to the people of Israel, it is time for you to defend yourself. It's time. And let me just kind of caveat on that a little bit. People of God, it is time for you to put on the armor of God. Because there's a real unseen army out there that wants to destroy you and me. They don't care about us because we love Jesus. Amen. The forces of darkness want nothing less than to destroy us. And let me tell you, do not allow that foolishness to come in God's house and cause you to be a part of the devil's army by hating and disrespecting each other. That's right. If there's a problem, get right with God. Don't be on the enemy's side. Amen. Amen. So now gather yourselves in truth, O daughter of truths. He's talking to Israel. He's talking to the people of Judah, the southern kingdom. He's saying, get yourself together. Okay? Come together as one because it's time in which you're going to have to defend yourself. It's time. He has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. At this time, Zedekiah was the king in Jerusalem, the king over Judea. Let me tell you about this phrase, smiking or slapping one on the cheek. It was considered an insult, especially when you slap the king on his cheek. And that's exactly, Junior, what the Babylonians would do to Zedekiah. They would kill his 10 sons right in front of him and he, that would be the last thing he sees. Then they will put his eyes out. And the only thing he he will remember seeing was them killing his sons in front of him. And they put him in chain and drug him to Babylon where they would torture him and over time he would eventually die in captivity in Babylon. <coughs> but you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, there's a language there. You need to understand this language. You got to write it down because there was another Bethlehem in the north. So by him saying Apathot, he was distinguishing the differences between the two Bethlehem. Apathot used to be the name of Bethlehem before it was Bethlehem. And the name of Bethlehem, Beth, B-E-T-H, is house. And Laham is bread. The house of bread. Interesting point. 
in the book of John, in the gospel of John, chapter 6, Jesus had just fed the 5,000 in a place called Bethsaida, in the most northern town on the Sea of Galilee, the town in which James and John, Peter and Andrew, and Matthew and his brother were from. Okay? The next day, he's in Capernaum. And the crowd has followed him all the way to Capernaum. That little town that sits on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum. There by the sea. It would be there that the crowd would follow him. And he asked them, why have you followed me? <laughs> he said, you didn't come to see me because of the miracles. You come to see me because you were fed and you was full. He said, do not labor for the food. Now looking at him like, what is he talking about? Don't work so that you can get your bellies full. He said, you come because I am the bread of life that was sent down from heaven. And he used the comparison of Moses being in the wilderness and God giving the children of Israel their manna. And they said, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave your fathers the manner in the wilderness, but it was my father who gave it to them. And I am the bread that came down from the father. Who were them Jews, but they're looking at him like, huh? So Jesus asked them, well, one of them in the crowd asked Jesus, rather, what should we do that we may work the works? And he said, believe in him whom God has sent. That's the work that God wants you to do. Place your trust in the son of God. So interesting point here. Jesus is born in a town that is called what? The house of bread. And Jesus himself would identify himself as the bread of, life. bread of life. You think God is sending a message here? I think God is sending a message. All right, stay with me now. So it says, but you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, here, when Moses had the children of Israel in the land, in the wilderness, in the desert, boys and girls, Deacon Clinton and I talked about this for a, quite a while last night. There were anywhere from uh, 1.5 million people to 3 million people. How would you like to bring at least three million people a drink of water <coughs> twice a day. Enough that would sustain their life. It is said in order for a person to live, he has to have at least a half gallon of water a day. That's 64 ounces. So you get your buckets together, kids, and you find a river or a watering hole, 
And you got to bring enough water for one day for three million people. How many gallons do you need? 64 ounces. <laughs> okay, you got that part. Yeah, you're supposed to need that much. Way to go. But that's 0.5 divided into what? Three million. You come up with what? One and a half million gallons of what? A day. That's a lot of water. And if you feed them twice a day, how many meals you got to have? Six million meals a day. Miss Tamara, you don't have a kitchen that big, sister. All right. What does that have to do with any of this? Because it took God to sustain that nation. And these people are the ones that are now living in the promised land. And this little village, Bethlehem, is five miles southeast of Jerusalem. Now, why did he say, why did the prophet Michael say to these people, you who are least among the tribes of Israel, the tribes of thousands, because Moses assigned 1,000 families to each tribe when they broke them up. The 12 tribes, 1,000 families per tribe at the very minimum. And guess what? Bethlehem was actually a part of the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe out of all the tribes. Yes. So for safekeeping, we think that Bethlehem had about a thousand people. Okay. Is that okay to say it safely? That's not a bad, that's, that's about the size of Newberry. A little bit bigger than Archer. I think maybe Archer just now reached a thousand. When I grew up there, it was about 700. Yeah, I come from a little small town like Bethlehem. Well, a lot of power come out of small towns, don't it? Y'all didn't get that. <laughs> anyway, as we see this, so it says, look, you are the least among these great tribes of people, Judah being the largest, which where Jerusalem was. And yet Bethlehem would have a ruler that comes out of it that will even surpass those of Judah. Look at it closely. Yet out of you shall come forth to me. This is God talking. Out of you, Bethlehem, is going to come a man to me, the one to be ruler in what? Israel. Now, several hundred years earlier, were there not a man that came out of Bethlehem that was the ruler of all Israel? What was his name? David, King David. King David was the shepherd boy from Bethlehem. You remember when the prophet Samuel went to Jesse's house? Because the Lord said, I, I, look, I have no longer, he said, I no longer have Saul as king over my people. He said, go to Jesse, Jesse, the Bethlehemite's house. 
and I will show you who to anoint as king for me. And Samuel became afraid. He said, if I do that, Saul going to kill me. He said, tell him, he said, I'm going to prepare a feast for the Lord. Invite Jesse to the feast. See, God is so smart. And he gets there. You remember from last week what I told you all? And they get there, and what did Jesse do? Jesse brought this big brute man out, his oldest son, full of bronze. And God said, uh-uh, I don't want him. I reject him. Why? Because men look where? On the outside. But I look at the heart right there. I know who you are on the inside. And Jesse, can you imagine Jesse the father was blown away at that? And all the way down, seven sons, grown men, fighting soldiers, they were in the army. And God said, no, 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 no. And so you have any more sons? Yes. We got a Rudy one. <laughs> He's out there watching the sheep. And y'all remember what Samuel told Jesse? He said, we will not sit until you have brought the lad here. So the brothers had to go out in the sheepfold and get old David and bring that little skinny Ronnie boy on back up there. And when they saw him and Samuel laid eyes on him, the moment Samuel laid eyes on him, and y'all do know who Samuel is, right? The prophet Samuel, the one who I'm named after. Boy, that's some good stuff coming out of Archer, ain't it? Lord, forgive me. I just love you for what you've done with my life. My wife says, so enough. Now, where are we? Are y'all following along now? We're at the point in which Samuel's about to anoint David as what? King. And the Holy Spirit confirmed the moment that Samuel, when God told Samuel, that's him, anoint him, pour the oil upon his head. And they took that flack of oil and they poured it on David's head. Can you imagine his brothers were probably freaking out now that <laughs> God rejected them and chose their little scrawny brother to be the king of a nation. And the moment God did that, his spirit entered David. So young David, the shepherd boy, when he faced Goliath, he faced Goliath with the Spirit of God in him. Isn't that awesome? So with the Spirit of God in you, you can do amazing things. I know, I'm a living example. Okay? All right, a little bit further. So the one to be ruler in Israel who's gone forth or from of old, from everlasting. What does that mean? The one of old, the one from what? Everlasting. That tells you that this ruler is not human. Even though he would be born like a human, yet he is not fully human. He must be God Almighty in the flesh. Do you see that? Look at it. Very, very closely. Who's gone forth from of what? Oh, mean he has no beginning. And what? 
and from everlasting, meaning he has no ending. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the ancient of days. Do you see that? He's not going to be a normal man, Maurice Nelson. This is going to be God born in the flesh. Hello, somebody. And the prophet Michael sees this. And he's writing about it. <coughs> Therefore, he shall give them up until the time that she who's in labor has given birth. In other words, God said that this, this great one, this ruler, is going to come after Israel's trouble. After the Assyrians come, after the Babylonians come, after the, who else, who came next? Alexander the Great also came in and conquered Israel. The Maccabees brothers had to jump in and help out. And then the Romans. And God promised, out of Bethlehem will come a ruler who would lead his people. Now, folks, this is huge. And you got to look at this, children. This have a double meaning. <coughs> the first time Jesus came, he came to rule the people how? Spiritually. He came to get them out of sin, came to take them out of darkness into the light of God, into the righteousness of God, into the holiness of God. He come to lead the people back to God. Now, the next time he comes back, he's coming back as what? The conquering warrior. Read Revelation 19. He would never be beaten again. No one ever would spit in his face again. And certainly, they will not pierce his side, nor his feet. They will never drop another spike through his hands. Never. In fact, let me take you deeper, boys and girls. When Satan looks at him, he will shake with great fear. Because Satan had never seen them this way, the way in which he's coming back again. Because that night in Jerusalem, when all hell marched in and they grabbed the Son of God, they thought they had him. This baby, this warrior, this ruler is to be born from Bethlehem. He come from a town of warriors. King David was a mighty man of war. And Jesus is going to excel that of King David. Remember, David was the giant killer. And remember when he killed Goliath? The song that the people sing? Saul has killed this 1,000, but David has killed tens of thousands. And yet he was just a teenage boy, a mighty warrior. And that's why God told David, you can't build me a house because you are a man of war. You have blood on your hands. You have shed blood. But your son Solomon shall build me 
a house because Solomon hadn't shed blood. David was something else. He would take you out. And now, y'all keep looking at Jesus the wrong way. Keep looking at him the wrong way. The Jesus who was docile and easy and humble and meek and riding on a donkey in the Jerusalem and the people shouting Hosanna in the high. Guess what? When that same Jesus come back again, he's not riding a donkey. He's not coming lowly and meek. The same Jesus that the prophet is talking about. He's coming twice. Once as a baby that y'all like to sing about. Another, the conquering king. Don't you forget that. Y'all understanding this? Are you following me? Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. God had told them through the prophet Moses that Israel would be scattered. He said, you're going to go in the land and you're going to commit adultery. You're going to commit idolatry. Both of them. Adultery, which is idolatry. Okay, let's explain the two, kids. Adultery is when you have an affair on your wife or your husband when you're married. You go and you get somebody else. That's what Israel did when they went into the land. How did they do that? When they began to worship false gods. Because they are married to the Lord. And by them going and worshiping a false god, children, they committed adultery against God. And therefore, and because they were worshiping false god, it's called idolatry. In other words, worshiping idols that are not real gods, but call them gods. And God said that when they did that, he said, I'm going to scatter them among the nations. And that's what this is referred to, Junior. He's a preacher in training, don't even know it. Listen, when God says something, is it hot in here again? Listen, when God is about to do something, he told the man Moses, who did not enter the promised land. He said, you write a song about what they're going to do. Go to Deuteronomy in chapter 32. You begin to see the song. He said, yeah, you're going to go in the land. And God's going to get you. Because you're going to become stiff-necked and disobedient. And God is going to scatter you among the nations. Has Israel been scattered among the nations? Yes, they have. And this, in this verse that I'm looking at, God will bring them back into the land, bring them back to Israel. He will take them from the nations in which he had scattered them. And 1948, Israel became what? A nation. And ever since then, the Jews around the world has been trying to find a way to come home. Now, to give you a little bit of biblical history, the night in which God brought Israel out of Egypt, do you know what he told them? He said, I have brought you out on eagle's wings. Okay, well, what does that mean? <laughs> you can't fly higher than an eagle, humans. 
Amen. And you can't fly swift as an eagle. God said, I brought you out so fast that not even Pharaoh's army could catch you. And that's the term in modern day terms Israel used when people sponsor Jews coming back to the land. They have painted on air on airplanes, eagles wings from the statement that God told Moses. Isn't that something? And the Jews are coming back and they're looking for families right now to pay $150, $500, $650 to bring families out of Russia and other places where they can now leave <laughs> and bring them back to Israel. They got Jews in Ethiopia and other places that don't even know how to speak the Hebrew language. And yet they come back to Israel with nothing. Why? Because God is bringing them back home. And then God said that what would this Messiah do? What would this ruler do? He said, and he shall stand and feed his what? His flock. God said the, the Messiah is going to take care of his sheep. Flock is another name for what? Sheep. <coughs> and remember Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. He said, my sheep hear my voice and do what? Follow me. For they will not hearken to the voice of a stranger. So he said, and then he said again, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Which he did. All of this is written in the prophets. And this is one of them. Are you all understanding this? Are you with me? <coughs> in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, said a prayer in John chapter 17. One of the things that he prayed for, for those disciples, he said to, the, to, to God, he said, Father, I have kept them in your name fulfilling this prophecy that Jesus Christ the son of God kept those apostles in the majesty of God's name and guess what he is still keeping his disciples today 2,000 years later Jesus the son of God is still keeping you and me and can't no devil in hell take us out of the kingdom of God that's right amen amen why? Because in the majesty of God's name, Jesus is keeping us. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. One of the things that the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 9 of the book of Isaiah, he shall be called what? Counselor. What's another name in that? Great doc doxology just listed there. Yes, ma'am. What? Lord of peace. Prince of peace. That's what it's called. He shall be called counselor, wonderful, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Mighty God. The mighty God. Okay? The prince of peace. What does the prince of peace do? What does he do? He keeps the peace. He keeps the peace. And how does he do that? 
He does he do it by being greater than enemies. That's right. Do you see that? He keeps the peace by being greater than our enemies. Who's the enemy of God? Satan. And anyone who chooses to follow Satan's plan are enemies of God. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ in them. Folks, contrary to proper belief, God does not love everybody like he loves you and me. If they have rejected Christ, they have rejected God and they're on God's hit list. Get away from this false teachings out there that God's not angry with you. If you have rejected his son, Jesus, why wouldn't God be angry with you? Why wouldn't God send you to hell? After, he, after all, he sent his son, Jesus, to hell in your place. Did he not? He sent him to hell for three days. And then he pulled him out of it. So by rejecting Jesus, you reject God. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And when he rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples when he came through the walls and appeared to the disciples in that upper room, and one of the first things he said to them, he said, my peace I leave with you. Not peace as the world know it, but my peace. The world's peace requires somebody to be fighting and overcome the other one. You know what Jesus' peace is? <coughs> Jesus' peace is the Holy Spirit in you. Huh? What are one of the traits of the gifts of the Spirit? Or shall I say the fruit of the Spirit? What's one of the traits there? Kindness. No, no, we're talking about peace now. One of the traits is I'm surprised FCA didn't get on that one right away. One of the traits is peace. Somebody turn to Galatians chapter 5. Let's look at verse 21 and 22 real quick. I don't mind stopping the sermon so that you can learn. Amen. Galatians 5 verse 22. Somebody read it out loud. Because we want you to know that. What is it? Peacefulness. Come on, let's read it. Read it out loud. Somebody, Mr. David, go ahead. I gotta <laughs> find it <laughs> Galatians 5. Okay, Michaela, what does it say? Verse 22. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's number three of the Spirit? Peace. What's number three of the Spirit? Peace. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Peace. So Jesus gives us peace by the Holy Spirit in us. Amen. Amen. Now, over in uh, Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 5, Jesus through Paul says, Don't be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God shall rule in your heart through Christ Jesus. So if you're anxious and depressed and can't get it together sometimes, call on Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. Okay? So that's one way. It deals with the human heart. 
to bring about peace. But when they come back again, there's a conquering king. He has a sword on his side for a reason. Because he's a man of war. All right. Y'all are doing good today, especially under this long sermon. Y'all are hanging in there. So, it tells you and I what our Lord is going to do. Bethlehem would be the birthplace of the Messiah, the house of bread, the same place where King David was born. Interesting point here, God said through the prophets about King David that there would never cease to be a king to sit up on David's throne. And so, for that promise to be carried out, God allowed the man who would take David's throne to be born in the same town as David. What an honor. What an honor. And so now, if you fast forward, close your Bibles to Micah 5. If you want to follow along in Matthew 2, it is now about 600 years into the future. And you can even cross-reference it in Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 6. And there she brought forth her firstborn son. Talking about Mary. And she called his name Jesus. She called his name Jesus. And so, on this solemn holy night, there in Bethlehem, the city that was the least among all the cities of Judah, out of that small town, God brought forth the rod from the stem of Jesse that would rule his people Israel, and not only Israel, but the entire world. That night in Bethlehem, all of heaven's hosts Surrounded that small town, above that city, lies trillions upon trillions and trillions of angels that night. And the Almighty was watching over the birth of his son Jesus. Fulfilling this prophecy that was given by the prophet Micah from God himself, that out of Bethlehem of Ephrathah will come a ruler. And shortly thereafter, this great entourage of these mighty, powerful men showed up in Jerusalem. And they went directly to King Herod's palace. And when they got there, Herod, his messenger said, 
you got some strange noble men out here wanting to see you. And they're asking the question, where is he who's been born? Come on. King of the Jews. For we have seen his star in the east. And we have come to what? Worship him. These were Gentiles. These were the nations coming to worship the son of the living God. And Herod did what? He freaked out. He did. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 2 that Herod and all Jerusalem was troubled. When the word got out, it hit the streets fast. <laughs> These guys said there's another king. And they come to worship him. Wow. So that night, Herod asked the priest, where is the Messiah to be born? You know what them rascals had to do? They had to beat feet and find what? The scriptures. And guess what passage of scripture they found? Michael, as we know, Michael chapter 5, verse 2. And they hasted back to Herod. And they said to him, the scripture, just as it is written, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, you being the least among the rulers of my people, out of you shall come a ruler that shall govern my people. And Herod really got scared because he knew time was what? Time was up. And so, those wise men heard that this king had been born where, boys and girls? <coughs> that he had been born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. That must have excited some folks. Why not the king palace? Why not in the capital city, Jerusalem? Bethlehem? A sheep town? The house of bread? The Messiah is born there? So Herod, he think he's smarter than God. What did he say? <laughs> Go and what? Go and find him. When you have found him, report back to me. And let me know so that I will come and worship him. A lion dog. He wanted to kill him. He sent his spies out to follow him. But we're not going to concentrate on that part now. When, that, when those men, those noble men that came from the east, from the Orient, when they showed up in Bethlehem, all of a sudden, this little small Judean town was now popular. Because this great entourage, maybe five, six hundred men or more, just showed up. 
And when they showed up, things got huge. Because you didn't think that same star that stopped over in Jerusalem, the Bible said that it did what? It moved up. And those men followed that star all the way to Bethlehem, five miles away. And when they got there, it had stopped right over the house where the baby was. Hmm. Stars just don't do that. Am I right, Junior? According to Johann Kepler, looking at his model, that great German mathematician who really plotted the movement of the stars. The movement of the stars are so precise, you can actually set your clock by them. And you can actually walk in reverse back to the time period following the movement of the stars. Are you all aware of that? It's more precise than an atomic clock. And so they said modern research shows that Jupiter, planets just don't do what Jupiter did. Jupiter is known as the king planet because it's the largest. When those men in the east saw that planet moving, they knew something was going on in the west. And they got together and said, we have got to follow that star. And when Jupiter moved and it was traveling, and when it stopped, it stopped right then in Jerusalem and then moved again, boys and girls. And you know what gave it its bright light? When Jupiter stopped, here's a fancy word, write it down, called retrograde. <clears throat> R-E-T-R-O-G-R-A-D-E, -E, retrograde. Got it? R-E-T-R-O-G-R-A-D-E, -E, retrograde. Retro means what? Back. So Jupiter did this, Mr. David. It went out, and at the point before it can go back, it had to do what? Stop. And on his retrograde, it stopped where? Right over Bethlehem. When they looked at uh, Johann Kepler model and tracked it with geography on Earth, guess where it retrograded at? Right above Bethlehem. And when it did that, it had aligned itself with another star, giving it its bright light. Isn't that something? This is all the doing of God himself. That's why Psalms 19 and verse 1 says that the heavens declare what? The glory of God. You go, boy. Are we on to something now? Is God speaking to you? Do you all see God's hand in all of this? No. So the prophets gave this and the heavens were on the move. The heavens were moving on the behalf of God. And when that star stopped and those men on earth, they were looking. They said, oh, it stopped. There it is. And they knew exactly what house to go to because these men were professional star readers. 
And when it stopped, they knew what house to go to. And when they got there, they found a babe wrapped in what? And laying what? Laying in a manger with the glory of God shining all over that stable. They were the wise men. Yes, sir, they were. The name is Magi. The word Magi is Greek for musician. They were magic workers. Really wasn't a good thing. But they were being led by the Spirit of God. And when they got to that stable, they saw a king. Not just a king, Mr. Junior. They saw the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you know what these strangers did, Kobe? These strangers got down on their knees and worshiped the Christ child who is Jesus. And they worship God, as you said, baby. And we're about to close out. What Michael foretold in this writing, there was bad times for Israel, but he said good time on the way. As one coming, then greater than all the armies that's been coming against us. And he's going to take care of us. Herod had no idea who he was messing with. And just in case you didn't know the history of King Herod, let me give it to you for a moment. King Herod was half Jewish and half Gentile. King Herod was set up by the Romans. He did not inherit the throne like other kings did. He was set up by the Romans because before then, Israel was an occupied land. Foreign armies controlled its government. There was no king to sit up on the throne since Zedekiah. Zedekiah was the last one. Herod was the one. And by the way, I, I, I can't in a sense on this part take anything from Herod. Herod was a warrior. Y'all didn't know that, did you? He was a minor man of war. Herod was a bad dude. He knew how to fight. But he was smart too. He knew how to use his enemy. And somehow he got on the inside of the Romans and got favor with them and said, and the Romans said, okay, we'll set you up as king, but you're going to listen to us. But he crossed the line when he tried to kill God's son. He crossed the line. And when he stood up to speak, and he was also a great speaker, fancy word, boys and girls, for great speakers called orator. O-R-A-T-O-R, orator. Okay, that's someone that can speak fancy. That's not me. That's Mr. David. Now, Herod got up to speak, and he spoke so wonderful, the people said that he was a god. Instead of shutting the people up, because Herod was not ignorant of the Jewish laws, he knew the Jewish laws, known as the Torah, the Old Testament. 
He wasn't ignorant of it. He knew that a man was never supposed to take the notoriety as being a God. Somebody know. But he did. And when God saw that, you know what God did to Herod to Kobe? God struck him with worms. While he was alive, he was being eaten alive from the inside by worms. Yeah. Yeah, gross. That's right. Eaten alive, died a horrible, painful death. Because he did not give God the glory. And so, what do we learn from this today? When God sends a word, he's going to carry it out. When God sent the prophet Michael to give this word to the people of Judah, he meant what he said. That there was a ruler coming. And he was going to be born in Bethlehem. And what's Bethlehem? What does it stand for? The house of bread. And Jesus is the bread of life. That came down from heaven. Amen. I'm not going to belabor you anymore with it. I want you to know. That when you read the prophets, though sometimes they can be difficult to understand because even I had to go and do research. Okay? And I'm not saying that I'm some great Bible scholar. I do like to study the Word of God so that I can give it to you correctly. Okay? And so, thanks be to God so for sending us His Son, Jesus. This is a time in which we celebrate Jesus. We don't celebrate gifts in a box. A tree with color lights on it. We celebrate Jesus, the son of the living God. Amen. Amen. That's what Christmas is all about. Now, and the final thing is we get ready to pray. I want you to get this, boys and girls. What does the word Christmas mean? It means that Christ celebrates Christ Mass. Christ Mass. <laughs> <laughs> Let's separate the two. Because it became a compound word. The first is Christ. The second is what? Mass. What does Mass mean? A mass means an assembly, people gathering together. Okay? Christ's mass, it was a time in which the people came together to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because what was going on in the world at that time, the pagans had set aside a day to worship Satan. So the Catholic Church came out, said we need a day to offset that so that the Christians wouldn't get tangled up in that mess and be able to worship God's Son, Jesus. So they called it Christ Mass, bring it together, you get Christmas. Does that make sense now? All right, I want you to know the truth while we do this. 
What your mom and dad teach you, that's up to them. I'm not going to go into that. All right? But I will teach you the truth from the Bible point of view. Is that okay? No. Yeah. Now, every head bow. I want Deacon Clinton to come up here. I want y'all to know that this young man sometimes had to put up with, a, with hard stuff from me. But he's a young man that wants to know the truth. Last night he and I dug in the scriptures and we hit it hard last night. Some very deep things of why God sent his son Jesus and why Israel was chosen over the Gentile nations. Because God built them for such a time as that. But I want you to know that I want you all to honor God by honoring his people, the leaders in which God put in place. And the greatest leader of all is Jesus. Jesus commissioned us to lead you. And we're going to do our best. And I called him up here, not to pat him on the back, but I do that too. But <laughs> so that he can lead us in our closing prayer. All hearts and minds clear. Anything you need to be prayed about. Brother Million, Sister Vicky are sick. Pray the prayer of healing for them in your prayer. Any questions? All minds are clear. Take us to the throne room of God. Father, we come to you to thank you for the message you gave us today, each and every one of us, whether it was the same message that was meant for each one of us or there was a different message in there for each one of us. Um, we pray that you touch Brother Emilio and Miss Vicky today. Heal them in Jesus' name. Heal them. Um, we pray that you stay with us and guide us in your word throughout the rest of this week until we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our message to our friends around the world, Deacon, would be to place their trust in the living God yes. and his son, Jesus Christ. The message that they would get today that God had promised to send a savior, a man that would rule his people, and that man would be God's very own son, and his name is Jesus. Jesus. And so we want people to place their trust in him. And if anyone needs prayer, they can write to us, right? Yes. At 18583 High Springs Main Street, High Springs, Florida. 32643. And if they want to call us and have us pray for them online, and I'm sure Miss Nelson and Miss Shelley will pray with them. Yes, and Miss Maria, she's here. She's a mighty prayer warrior. And Mr. David and, and some of the others. That number is 386-454-7594. And uh, they can also go on Facebook and see us, Witnesses of Christ Ministry. Go Facebook and then slash Witnesses of Christ Ministry, and they will see us. And we now have a YouTube video about the ministry. And it's called... Pastor Sammy Nelson, Jr., Witnesses of Christ Ministry. So they type that in YouTube, and there's a video that a student, Michaela, from the University of Florida made. 
Uh, she's a journalism major, and she put that out there for us, free of charge. Ain't God good? Yeah. All right, the last thing that we want our friends around the world to know, and I don't want this to sound too commercial, we want people to know that they can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and Him alone in which they can be saved. The Jews that may hear this message need to go back to the prophet Micah and see that their ruler, their Messiah, in which they've been looking for, came from Bethlehem. And that he died in Jerusalem on the cross, which is called in Hebrew as the what? Tree of self-sacrifice. That's what the cross was called in Hebrew in Aramaic. The tree of self-sacrifice. And we want them to place their trust in Jesus, the Son of the living God, and be saved. Uh, we do have a web page. I'm sure our son Michael will correct me on this. I think it's WC High Springs uh, .com. If I said that wrong, Michael will correct me. But we want folks to send their uh, prayer request to us and and, and uh, any support that they can give the ministry. All right, all his minds clear. He's already prayed for us. To God be the glory. God bless you.